welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Proper Mental Podcast. This is episode 133. And my guest this week is Adam Nutter, who is a guitarist, a musician, and a songwriter. And he's just released his first solo albums, Badlands on Fire. And Adam formed the music with some friends, Robert Harvey, Stuart Coleman, and Phil Jordan, while he was still at high school. And the band were very quickly called the best unsigned band in Britain by the NME. And they didn't stay unsigned for long, but they had to wait till they were 18 before they could sign the record deal. And shortly after that, they released their debut album, which went into the charts at number four. And they set off on tour around the world, supporting the likes of U2 and Oasis and Coldplay. And after two years of relentless touring, there was suddenly a lot of record label pressure to make a follow-up record. And the next few years would be complicated by the stresses of touring and music industry politics and burnout and the impact of things like Napster and streaming music. The band called it a day whilst working on what would have been album number four. And Adam found himself back at home in Leeds estranged from the rest of the band, estranged from his friends, and without the only job that he knew how to do. And he was still only in his late 20s at this point, and all of this combined took a massive toll on his mental health and his sense of identity. He turned his back on music and the music industry. He put his guitars in storage, and he wouldn't play again for a decade. He would also be diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar, and he had to try and work out who he was and what he was going to do with the rest of his life. And he spiralled into a really dark and angry place. But an unexpected but lovely series of events... I'm not going to tell you about because I want Adam to tell you in his words, but it involves lockdown and the pandemic and Tim Burgess from the Charlatans and a Twitter listening party. And these would allow Adam to reconnect with his bandmates and also the fans of the music they made together. And he started playing guitar again and he used that to make peace with everything that happened and process it by writing his new album, Badlands of Fire, that I mentioned at the start. This is an incredible story and it was quite hard to hear at times, but it does have a happy ending and I can't thank Adam enough for sharing it with me. He's a top guy. I really, really liked him. I was a fan of the music back in the day. I still listen to them now. Their second album actually is one of my running albums. So I kind of remember a lot of this stuff going on, particularly when they blew up. I remember the hype around the first album. I remember going to get it and being blown away by it. But something that Adam talks a lot about in this episode is the whole process of streaming music and what happened to the music industry when all like the Napster stuff happened and how it affects like the bands and the actual people making the music. And to kind of, I suppose, counteract his experience, his new album is only available in physical form um, if you buy it which I really think you should because it's wonderful you do get a digital link but you have to buy a physical copy and what I love about this is that because Adam wants you to buy a physical copy what he's done is make the physical copy something that's really worth buying. So it's really high quality vinyl, it's a really unusual colour and there's actually been some specially commissioned artwork. There's a different piece of art for each track on the album. So the album sleeve is just a credible piece of art in itself and I just thought that was a really cool thing to do. If you want people to buy something, buy a physical piece of music, then make that 
physical thing as beautiful as can be and that's really what he's worked very hard to do like i say it's a wonderful album you can get it at his website the link is in the episode notes there's also links there for his podcast which is called the music and more that's really good and all the links to the socials and stuff is there too if you want to catch up with him on social media it's great to chat to adam he's a really lovely bloke he's a very emotional guy he talks a lot in the episode about how in tune he is with his emotions and how he has to kind of ride out the good times and the bad times and he really speaks from the heart he's very passionate and I really respect that about him. I really respected his honesty. Uh, it really was a pleasure to meet him. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. All the links for my stuff is there. I'm not going to tell you all about it because I've talked for long enough. And it is a long one today. Fair play. So let's get into it. This is episode 133 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Adam Nutter. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Awesome. Cool. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Adam Nutter. How are you, mate? I'm very good. Thank you. Very good. Thank you for having me. Oh, mate. Thank you for joining me, man. I really, uh, really appreciate it. I was saying to my wife last night, I was saying that, um, you know, that I was chatting to you today and I was uh, like, well, I still am a big fan of the music, you know, and I, I remember you guys coming out and I remember the album and the hype and everything that came with it. And I was thinking, like, it's funny how life works out, because if you'd have told, like, 20-year-old me then that in 20-odd years I'd be chatting to, like, Adam, the guitarist from the music, you know, like, I would have got such a kick out of that as a young man. And it's just fucking weird all them times listening to your guitar playing on that record and or on those records and actually thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get to, like, chat to him. And it's just such it's weird how life pans out, dude. It really is. Yeah, thank you, mate. Thank you for your kind words about the music and stuff. And uh, I really appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, no, I'm always up for a chat like this. I really enjoy I really enjoy this stuff. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. I mean, I suppose the best place for us to start today, mate, is um, is right at the start. And I was interested to talk about guitars. And what was it that kind of made you pick one up and, and get started playing in the first place? Um, Well, I mean, as I've probably spoke about before, really, a lot of it probably came from uh, my family and the house I grew up in and uh, my mum and dad being into music and then both my brothers being heavily into music and um, yeah there was a lot of music around the house a lot of different they all listened to different stuff so it was kind of coming from all angles really and as I've said numerous times my dad was like a, a hi-fi nut so he'd accumulate hi-fis and when he got a new one he'd you know one of us would get his old ones so we all had like awesome hi-fis and yeah, everyone was blasting music out, and don't know. I think I've I've always had a very addi- addictive, uh, obsessive personality, and um, I, you know, I've gone through different things that have interested me, and you know, sometimes you stick with them a bit, and sometimes they don't, and you move on to something else. But yeah, when once I kind of really discovered music, um, it, it, it just a desire to play guitar. There was a couple of lads at school who were playing guitar and things like that and it just quickly became something that i you know i I was obsessed with and obsessed with getting better at and i just i absolutely loved it i absolutely loved it do you know what i mean and that you know that stemmed from i don't know really the, the music i was exposed to and the music i was listening to and as i say just the probably the sort of vibe among my peers at that time as well. Like, like I say, a lot of uh, um, my friends were starting to learn guitar and, and things like that. And 
yeah, as I say, it was just something that I became that it captured my imagination really, and with something like that, it all you know anything that captures my imagination can have quite a lot of longevity in terms of um you know how how long I enjoy it, and guitar's just been something that as soon as I kind of discovered it has stuck with me ever since, I'd say. Yeah, I suppose that's the difference, isn't it? Like, I think there's like a, a time period for teenage boys when like everybody has a go at learning guitar, right? And yeah. then it's just like for the vast majority of people, maybe two or three years later, maybe they're not playing anymore or maybe they're just like tinkering and, and not really taking it seriously. And then there's always that group of people who carry on with it and get better and better. It gets smaller and smaller. And I suppose that, that you know, the next natural step then is to, is to start a band, right? Is that because that came about when you guys were at school? That's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, and I, I think the other thing as well was, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I guess I had a bit of a natural flair for it because, I mean, you see some people and you talk about three years later and they haven't really progressed, do you know what I mean? And they might still be just strumming out the same three chords, but, you know, whatever, it's whatever, you know, if you sit there and you're enjoying that, it's absolutely fine. But I found that I progressed really quickly um sort of three months you know i was you know knocking out my own riffs as soon as as soon as i could you know fret notes so to speak and get chords out i was like well i'm away now do you know what i mean and as i've talked about before my interest in multi-effects that fueled a lot of my interest in playing guitar as well and um but yeah we 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 formed at school effectively yeah um Rob was in another band and um, we were quite good friends. And when I started playing guitar, I'd kind of had a plan in my head that I wanted to start, a, you know, to start a band with Rob and we were doing GCSE music together and it was the perfect opportunity to uh effectively start writing songs together and that's 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 how we started, you know, just writing songs in um GCSE music lessons and that led to me going around to his and just you know sitting in his bedroom and writing songs and yeah um it 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 came ridiculously easy to me and Rob because obviously Rob is a ridiculously talented singer and it, you know that came very natural to him and the guitar playing and innovating on stuff came very naturally to me. Do you know what I mean? I, I think I've always had quite a, a vast imagination and um, yeah, it, it really came naturally to me and Rob to, to sort of write these songs. And um, Stu was one of our good friends as well. And he was learning bass at the same time as I was learning guitar. And Phil was the drummer from Rob's previous band. And yeah, I mean, all that side of things, it just all kind of, Came together really and in my experience that's kind of how this stuff happens do you know what I mean rather than yeah. any any formal sit down grand plans just you know life kind of dictates these things and and puts you in these positions and um you know I think me and Rob had the determination and sort of well I mean I you know I say determination it was was it, it's not like we sat down and set out to conquer anything or all like that. We we literally just loved making music together, and you know, as soon as we started doing that as a full band, it just 
it was just ridiculously easy. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah, it was it was you know the the way the band came together was very organic, very easy, and writing the songs was just. It's just all about having fun and and expressing ourselves and sort of trying to outdo each other musically sometimes. And I think that's what led to a lot of our sort of more wilder jams and songs like that, you know, like the dance and walls get smaller and disco, just stuff where we were all, you know, trying to impress each other, I suppose. And in, in a roundabout way, sort of trying to outdo each other and feeding off feeding off what we were all doing together so yeah man really exciting times yeah that kind of that makes so much sense as like you know someone who listened to the music and like i said before i remember the album coming out and i always felt like you guys kind of arrived fully formed you know like there was just there was this huge hype and then bang there you were and the it's funny you mentioned like how you've naturally took to the guitar and you know some people maybe don't and i, I remember i remember my mate bringing a a single round to the uh to the house and saying you've got to hear these you've always got a mate who's always up on the new stuff and he, if you got a recommend a recommendation off him you knew it was good and i remember we us listening to it and i remember him saying to me he was like dude they're only 18 you know they're like same sort of ages as us and i remember being a little bit like oh for fuck's sake you know? <laughs> because there was you know we'd like sit around and, and tinker on these uh acoustic guitars you know wonderwall covers and trying to like harmonize like the gallagher's and then you guys arrived same same age group we would have been you know probably same school year or maybe a year or two in between and it was like bang here's this musicianship here's these songs here's this album like the everything was just born right right there but it did kind of like explode for you guys didn't it really fucking quickly yeah, I mean, we we were. I mean, when we were discovered by Tim Vig and um, and our management company, that one of the key things they wanted was time for us to develop, really, and uh, develop outside of that whole scene, really. Do you know what I mean? And without many eyes on us, and I think we had a really clever uh, introduction to the industry or the market, whatever you want to refer to it as, and. Yeah, that was very much masterminded by our management wanting to drip feed us into the industry rather than just going, right, bang, here you are, there you go. Um, I mean, you're right in terms of when we came out, it was very much like an explosion. But I think, as I say, there was a good two-year period where we were just heads down writing, developing, and, you know, Tim and Tony wouldn't let anyone near us. It was just a case of we'd be up in our practice room in Leeds and they'd come and check on check on us from time to time and there'd be all sorts of people trying to get word from them about us and they'd just be, you know, very closed lip, like, no, 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 do you know what I mean? And all the while waiting for us to, well, I probably to waiting for us to write things like Long Road and the people and and those sorts of tunes again it was all very organic and instinctive with tim just like yeah you just stay up there live your lives finish your school write your tunes and have fun and you know it was i remember playing him long road and and you know the reaction you could see was very much right now we're ready do you know what i mean it's like I think before we had vibe and we had ideas, but in terms of like solid tunes, I think Long Road was one of the the first big milestones that um, sort of paved, paved the way for us to, you know, to break through or to release Long Road on Fierce Panda and all that stuff. But 
yeah, it's funny what you say about sort of being a bit pissed off. I mean, that's <laughs> that's so natural among musicians and artists is that. And I have it as well. There's no worse. I'm always doing it. You know what I mean? Even if it's like a great pop song you hear on radio and you're just like, fucking hell, like, why not? I'd like that. Like you're always hearing those songs that as soon as you hear them sound like they've been around for a thousand years and you're yeah. just like, how is like, why ain't I done that? And I, I find those things um, inspiring at the same time as the frustrating because I'm always, I mean, to be honest, that was kind of where we came from. Like, you know, at the time word gets around was massive, you know, stereophonics, that was a massive record when we were just, sort of 16 i think and mm. that you know that would me and rob were like we were into stereophonics and we liked that record but we were very coldly just like well we're better than that do you know what i mean yeah. without without even needing that ratifying from anyone else it would just and you know that's one of the reasons i sort of poached rob so to speak from that sort of little band that he were in because it was just like I had such grand plans and massive guitar riffs and ideas for songs, and I was just like, he's wasting his time in that band. Do you know what I mean? He needs to, he needs to get to get with me, and um, it, because of things like Rob's voice and like how well we were writing songs together, and just how fucking easy, just how easy it was. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. um, intuitive understanding of each other musically and. That's just that sort of creative partnership, and it it just made it, it just made it really easy. But yeah, it's I like that um, competitiveness between between bands, you know. And it always used to be like that at festivals, you know. What I mean, you go at festivals, it'd be all nicey nicey with bands and stuff, and then you go in dressing room and you're like, oh, fucking wankers, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And that were no to do. That were no to do. Like personally, that were always just like I don't know when tunes come out. Like, and like, you know, we were good friends with Kings of Leon. And I remember when Sex on Fire came out and I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how fucking good it, how catchy is, you know, how much of a fucking massive pop song is that? And I think, well, I think that came out just as we finished mixing our third album. And it was a bit sobering, really, actually, you know, because we literally finished mixing that record and come away thinking yeah man this is you know this is really really great and as we were driving away from recording it and mixing it and everything buddy sex on fire came out radio you know radio and it were a bit like oh fuck. <laughs> but you know that's that's life and that's music and um but yeah it what and you know what as well the fascinating thing is i'm only really uh, uh, the last sort of two years becoming connected to just how much of a whirlwind our first record was. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because we we lived in a bubble. We properly lived in a bubble. And, um, you know, as I say, it was only when I joined Twitter and we had that listening party and the snowball from then on. It's, it's only since them days that I've sort of sat there and been like, wow, do you know what I mean? We, I didn't, I, I had no idea how big we were. Yeah. You know, when when you look at our first album chart position and and the records that it was alongside and you know things like Sugar Babes, which you know I know it's not the same sort of music, but when you're looking at how many people you've connected with to be next to acts like that, you know it was only in this day and age where I looked back at that and were like, bloody hell, that's that's insane. Yeah, I suppose you had no other because you guys were so young. You had no other frame of reference, like so. That's like your first job from leaving school was to yeah. go and tour America or whatever, right? So, yeah. yeah, like, how would you even 
you know, if that's the norm, if that's what your first record does, then that's just what what it's done. And, you know, why would you think about it any other way, I suppose? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it was all down to the sort of protection we had from, uh, you know, instilled by our management, really, in, in, in keeping our feet on the ground. And, you know, because we were all so young as well. And that's another common thing that, you know, people saying, like, I can't believe you made that first record when you were that young. And don't know that's always been something that's just kind of strange for us really do you know what i mean because it was just also natural do you know what i mean I, mm. you know i think we were quite blessed to have found each other if you want to look at it like that but all being so into music and all being so into such different music yet being able to to knock out these tunes together it kind of it kind of blows people's minds but it was just like a, a natural musical chemistry really that, um, you know, in a lot of ways was, was, was not only fronted by Rob, but it, it became about wanting to excite Rob. Do you know what I mean? And mm. get great, get great vocals out of him and stuff like that. And whenever we started knocking out a tune that he were really into, you know, just start dancing in practice room. And I know it's something I've said a lot as well, like, a lot of people talk about Rob's dancing on stage and it being a show or whatever. And it's like, no man, that's, that's what he does in the fucking practice room. Do you know what I mean? It's not like that's just for being on stage. If, you know, if we got down to bloody studio at quarter to 11 on a morning, just after, just after having a bloody Mackey's breakfast or something and start knocking out a, a slamming tune, then, you know, no matter how dormant he was sat in corner, as soon as a, as soon as some banging music started coming out, he'd be up on his feet, dancing his head off like a maniac. Do you know what I mean? Just that natural enthusiasm that we all had was kind of um, self-fueling, really, almost like a, a theory of perpetual motion sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? And that just became unstoppable because I always had, I always had such strong ideas for, for riffs and stuff like that. And they'd just come instantly. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be like, you know, on the good practice, you come away with like 10 things. And I think it was always me that was the one that was logging them in my mind. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. we could come back to it and, and go through things again. And, you know, I, I got a DAP player installed so we could record every single second of the things that we were doing because that started to dawn on me how much, um, well, how much you can't rely on anyone, not even yourself, to remember something entirely accurately, especially when it's four people playing a tune and the different little nuances that can shift it and that. And the amount of times we'd do something that was just absolutely amazing and then try and do it again and you're all like, well, something's some, not the same here. What, who's not doing what they were doing? And, you know, that led to getting a DAP player in there so every second of every practice were recorded so you could relax in that knowledge that if you know all four of you suddenly start looking at each other going shit this is special that you know there was no anxiety about well are we going to be able to remember this it was all all sort of recorded um but yeah I, you know it, it really was just incredibly natural for us and you know we've never really had to deal with i mean don't get me wrong we had dynamics in our relationships which um What's the word? I mean, we all got along fine, but you know, we got some of us got along with others better than others. But as a unit, do you know what I mean? As like a as a unit of four friends, it it worked brilliantly. And sort of Rob's 
uh, enigmatic charisma and just how funny he was. Um, you know, that really sort of held us together as four people. And we just developed this level of banter, which we took everywhere, which sort of later in life, I realized was just our coping mechanism, I think. And well, you know, as much as it was a coping mechanism to deal with the, the enormity of the mental, um, you know, sort of load and anxiety load that was placed on us. It, same time as that, it was just to alleviate boredom, really, because that's I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realise about being in a band is that there's a hell of a lot of time doing absolutely fuck all. And there there is a skill to doing absolutely fuck all. Not everyone can do it. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, takes, it takes a certain amount of skill to do absolutely fuck all and, and still like continue every day progressing as a human. But, we, yeah, we just developed this level of banter that we carried everywhere and anyone who sort of came into our circle got instantly sucked into this world of banter and the amount of times you just looked at people's faces and just completely bemused like what the fuck are you for about you know (laughs) but you know it's just how we got through tours and being away from home for months and months on end and yeah it was an absolute whirlwind and it, it it did have negative points um but it, yeah, it had an awful lot of positive points that are amazing memories that you'll never forget, really. Yeah, man. You mentioned the um, like the mental load of it, and you know, you guys were kind of thrown into that like for the first two records, right? So that whole almost two year of bring a record out, tour it for two years, straight back into the studio for next one. Was was it sort of roundabout like maybe the second record where it kind of like you're like, hang on a minute, we've been you know, we've, we've not had any time off, you know, we're still just kids. We've been doing this for a long time. Did, is that where it kind of like started to, um, you know, maybe that natural enthusiasm got harder to generate or something like that? Maybe Adam, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that's, that's, that's pretty much true. Really. I mean, it's, um, it's a bit of a, a cliche really in the sense that you've got your entire youth to, you know, write your first record and on your, sound so to speak and then you've got bugger all time to do the second one it's almost like being a victim of your own success in a way and you know once these sorts of things get up and running it's a huge machine do you know what i mean and with with loads of moving parts internationally um and yeah there was quite i mean our record did our first record did so well um you know, on reflection that it, it people wanted and expected uh, the second the, the second one really quickly without the same development time. And as I say, when you're a victim of your own success, like when you're hot, you've got to get out there and you've got to make the most of it. And, you know, it, it was a conversation I had with our managers many, many, many times in a sense of, look, we need some form of break here. And don't get me wrong, you know, it's not like we're fucking being ungrateful or out like that, but at the same time, if you don't give us a bit of a break and a bit of a chance to be creative, it's 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 going to be difficult to to get that second record out of us, but you know, I think we um we did we did really well and that second record is great, do you know what I mean? And yeah, it represented a bit of a shift and a bit of a change of direction, but that look, we we were never going to make that first record again. We just weren't, you know, regardless, we were always, you know, 
Sure, some people are just like, well, just do the same thing. Do you know what I mean? Like loads of similar tunes. Like, fuck that, man. Like, I ain't got no time for that. And I don't think any of us did. You know, we'd spent a lot of time in America and with American bands, Queens of the Stone Age, Jane's Addiction and stuff like that. And I don't know if a lot of, like, a lot of that rubbed off on us for our second record. And I spoke about it a lot again in terms of the first record was very much A&R'd by the English, uh, you know, the um, UK side of of record labels whereas the on the second album we you know because we'd signed a deal with capital records as well um that was their chance to sort of run with that album so yeah we kind of a little bit like being pushed from pillar to post i suppose but yeah man i mean the second record is amazing um different to the first and yeah we didn't have as much time to perfect it but yeah, that's certainly when um, things became slightly, well, started to become difficult. I mean, we'd been, like you say, we'd been on the road for so long. Or, I mean, that was the first stumbling block. We'd we'd been on the road for God knows how long, years and years, and we'd just spent like two or three months in America and we got back and the management basically turned around and went, right, um, well, you, you're going back to America in a week. Wow. And we're like, what? And again, people will be like, well, you're getting to go back to America. That's amazing. It's like, come on, have some fucking context. You know what I mean? We've been there for fucking three months. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter how good somewhere is, you, you know, it's, you get too much of a bloody good thing or an interesting thing. And yeah, I found that quite difficult because I'm, I'm very much someone who just likes being at home. Do you know what I mean? I'm sort of quite, I'm like that. I'm not one of these people that likes living out of a suitcase and, jet setting all over the place and to put that into context i ain't steps foot on a plane since the last time i got off a plane with the music wow i've literally literally haven't and i don't plan to either um so yeah it, it i suppose it became well there was always pressure but i don't know i think the pressure kind of increased on the second album and I think it was slightly unfortunate as well because it coincided with a dip in the market due to streaming and all that sort of stuff. That's the absolute death of bloody music and the market had started to shrink and those sorts of things. Um, and yeah, it just went from four lads, you know, vibing to four lads with mortgages, thinking about that sort of stuff and... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just it just became a big a big muddle, really. It's hard to describe. Um, and yeah. it, it, we were all learning, including the management. And you know, there's there's things that Tim and Tony, I've no doubt, would say that they'd have wished they'd done differently. But when you're doing these sorts of things, you've just got to feel your way through it and and do what you think's best. And then, obviously, like I say, you've you've got you've got um contracts to to fulfill and things so you, you know you, you kind of forced into certain scenarios really you know never sort of creatively obviously all the songs were always all us it's more everything else do you know what i mean all the other things even down to like getting a tour schedule and you're just like well who the fuck has put this together and you're like why what's wrong and it's like well there's five gigs on the bounce without a day off have you heard how this kid fucking sings you honestly think he can do fucking five days on the bounce you're killing us 
Do you know what I mean? And because it's true, do you know what I mean? Rob sings and sang or whatever song with such intensity and ferocity that literally couldn't fucking do it. And then you're into the realms of Rob coming in and going, I I can't, I can't play tonight. I, I can't sing. Like my voice is fucked. And then you start having to pull gigs and you know what I mean? And then everyone's just looking a little bit over the shoulder like, well, what's going on here, man? This used to be like an unstoppable machine and um you know you start seeing cracks in it um and you know there was a lot of pressure mm. on all of us and you know in, uh, probably main, mainly rob in terms of obviously being the front man and the face of the band all, all eyes are kind of on him and yeah and if if he wasn't hitting notes um because you know our songs are about intensity, and a lot of his vocals uh, are in that range, a bit like Bono, man. Do you know what I mean? Like when Bono really opens up, I don't care whether you two fan or not. When he really opens up, it's like wow. Yeah. Man. And if he, if he didn't really open up, there'd be something missing from that band. And so you know, there'd be times where Rob was shying away from those moments that made a set. And it was always kind of me becoming up to afterwards going, oh, I'm sorry, man. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, it's what it is, man. But like, you know, people want to, people want to hear that shit. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. And that, that, that grew um, quite rapidly did that. And, I, you know, I think Rob came to the realization in himself as well, that he, he didn't want that from his life. Do you know mm. what I mean? That perpetual living in fear of failure, you know, down due to his voice breaking down or, or whatever. And, you know, when you're dealing with those kinds of high stakes pressure, it leads you to, you know, drinking to excess or, you know, those sorts of things which develop into, into much bigger problems than they start off, you know, like the, the, the cure to a lot of things often becomes the problem. Do you know what I mean? due to the severity of how endemic a problem is. And as I say, you develop your own coping mechanisms, as I think we all did. And, you know, mine was just a smoke fucking buckets and bucket loads of weed. It was just the only thing that kept me from going, oh, shit, hang on a minute, we're fucked. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah. That's that sense of impending doom. And, you know, there were. it's weird as well, because when, you, when you're hot and you're successful, like, I speak about this machine and there's everyone there. And the second that that starts to wane, like that, that crowd of people disappears. Do you know what I mean? And that's so confusing for a bunch of young kids where you're like, well, hang on. Like when everything was rosy, there were all these people who couldn't fucking do enough for us. And just when things are backed off a little bit, like they've all fucking disappeared. And here we are in America on a zone doing a tour. He's lost his fucking voice. Like, what are we supposed to do? And I remember quite vividly ringing Tim and Tony and going, look, one of you needs to get your fucking ass out here on this tour and deal with this situation because we can't. And if you don't deal with it, there's going to be nothing left. So off you fucking come and get over here and help us because I, I don't know what to do anymore. Do you know, there's a, yeah. lot of, a lot of things about and that happened in this band that, you know, don't, that a lot of people just won't realize. And I don't know, you know, I get, I get a little bit fucking pissed off with it. Me, not to the point where I hold grudges against anyone, but 
I get a little fucking pissed off with ignorance. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And people and people just being like, oh, well, you know, what you want about? Like, I, I don't even fucking know how to describe it. People, people on the other side of the fence just don't get it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And even down to these reunion shows and everyone kicking off that there were only fucking one gig. And it's like, fuck's sake, you're lucky he's even doing fucking one gig. Do you know what I mean? In terms, yeah. of, in terms of how he uses his voice and his anxieties around using his voice like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, just, and people are like, well, he used to be able to sing like that. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Do you know what I mean? Fucking hell. Do you think Ronaldo can still play like he used to? Can he fuck? Do you know what I mean? It just don't work like that. And people yeah. are so oblivious to it that sometimes it just drives me a bit mad because you feel like you're forever pointing out the fucking obvious to people. Do you know what I mean? And then mm. people are like, oh, well, well, he sings Wicked Sabian. Oh, yeah, because that's the fucking same, isn't it? That's absolutely the same in doing backing vocals for Kasabian than doing our set, a full hour and a half with how intense our songs are. Yeah, that's complete. You fucking really understand, don't you? Jesus. Look, I don't mind people being ignorant. What I mind is when people who are completely fucking ignorant talk from a place where they think that they've got some sort of knowledgeable authority. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing that I, that I get incredibly incredulous about. And it's like, look, I don't mind you having assumptions and presumptions, but don't, when I tell you the opposite, don't fucking turn around to me and say, well, he does that or he does this or he does the other. I'll tell you what, you go fucking asking then, why are you asking me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't know, it just does my head in that people don't, fucking people, we are people. We are human beings just because we sold records and med albums don't mean that they were, we're a fucking faceless product that can just get up on stage as many times as whatever and do the same shit over and over again. It don't fucking work like that. You know, people have got things affecting them that you can't fucking see. Do you know what I mean? Such as mental health issues. And like, I, I, I get it. Don't get me wrong because it all comes from a place of enthusiasm for this band and a love of this band. And I'm one of those fans. Do you know what I mean? I, I love this band, but I know how hard it is to, to, to do this, to, to be in this band. Do you know what I mean? Especially for Rob and the, the feelings he has around even being a front man. Do you know what I mean? Just, just the notion of being the focus on stage and, you know, for example, when he's doing things like with the streets or, or with Kasabian, he's, he's, he's in the background, do you know what I mean? And it's a, a very different mental load. And that's what people don't always appreciate. And they're just like, well, he's singing with Kasabian. Why can't he sing with the music? Because it's no way the same. You know, he's not singing the same. He's not using his voice in the same way. He's not the main focus. Uh, but the, uh, there's a long list of things. But, yeah, you know, as much as being in a band uh, is exciting and amazing, it, it can also be very difficult and you could be met with a lot of, like I say, misunderstanding and um, yeah, I still get it now. I still get people saying, well, when's the tour and the new record being announced? And it's like, well, there the, the isn't going to be one. And I've made that clear as, as many times as humanly possible. You know, the reunion show with reunion shows that that was a fight getting the, all the bands who agree to do those. Do you know what I mean? Because People have moved on with their lives, are doing other things, but I don't know. I've gone off on a slight tangent, really, but it's it's kind of as a result of a lot of the things you touched on there in terms of things just becoming a bit difficult 
on the second album and I don't know like people aren't always as compassionate and as understanding as potentially they they should be and they don't realize the um the things that go on behind the scenes or the things that people go through in their own minds do you know what I mean and 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 how much work it takes to 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 get on stage and and play a set like that and do you know what I mean and but yeah there's a very long-winded answer to your question I th- the second album was where it became a little bit more well a little bit more difficult for lack of a better word really and you know that we all felt very much in control on that first album even though it took no ability to do that it just do you know what i mean it just it just worked and then as it gets more difficult you kind of sit there to yourself and think mm, well i don't know what to do so i'm just going to forget it for now and watch EastEnders or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's- yeah. Yeah. It's completely, it's like, it's same with so many things, isn't it? Like I always think I can understand completely why people get into huge amounts of debt because when that letter comes through the door with the red stamp on it, it's so much easier to just say, well, I'm just not going to open it. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. just not going to look in the box because if I look in the box, I've got to deal with what's in the box. So I'm just going to fucking just carry on as I, as I am, you know? And yeah. I think that's like such a common, um, like human response to things. Yeah. And uh, like some, um, Something that kind of like really stood out then when you were talking, Adam, is that, and it's something I talk about on this show a lot, is that there's this kind of place, and it doesn't matter what you do, right? It doesn't matter whether you're in a band or whether you like work in an office or whatever. Sometimes we find ourselves in in this, this kind of like place of like a stuckness, right? And it feels like you can't go back and you can't go forward, but you feel like you're going to break if you stay still, you know? So you don't want to leave your band because you work so hard to get where it is and you want to be in a band. But obviously it's causing, you know, problems and stresses and all the stuff you just talked about going forward. But then you think, well, I can't stay where I am, you know? So you kind of, it's like, it's when those pressures start to build up where you kind of look, well, I can't go forward. I can't go back. I can't stay here. What am I supposed to do? That becomes the, it's just the hardest place to be in, isn't it? It's just like, what do you do when you start, you start thinking of like, what options have I got to kind of feel a bit better about this? Either stop my band or we keep doing it or, or I stay where I am now. And, and, and it's not a very nice feeling, you know, it's, it's a really hard situation to be in, I think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's paralyzing in that sense and it can be creatively paralyzing as well. And yeah. Um, burying your head in the sand is, um, a very powerful uh, and quite effective way of dealing with things. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like it's very much like, well, if I don't open that door, it can't get me. So why the fuck would I open the door? Do you know what I mean? What am I say? Don't masochistic. Why the hell am I going to open that door when I know what's going to come through it? When in reality, the only person who's trying to force me to deal with it is me. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's. I kind of feel weird sometimes doing these sort of talking about it on reflection because I I think I can come across as what's the word? Well, I don't know. Jaded and jaded and affected, I suppose. Um but yeah, there's there's no doubt that we were. Jay, we you know, all four of us were severe, severely mentally impacted by the roller coaster we went on. And you see as well like the natural tra- trajectory for things like that's usually an upward one. And you know, like if you've got a lot of pressures and shit, but stuff's going really well, it's kind of got a way of smoothing itself out. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But 
when you've got all those pressures and things are starting to, for well, for lack of a better term, go downhill, it, it it's just so much more, like again, paralyzing or scary because, um, again, victim of our own success, our first album was so big, and I think we made probably a lot of mistakes in terms of how the second album was marketed and executed because I think there was uh, a, a quite a big push to the American market. And mm. I think as a result, we neglected the UK, basically. Nice. And it's not like we had to say in any of this. Do you know what I mean? The yeah, yeah. Schedules and all that stuff that were determined by a management record company. But, you know, there's no, there's, there's no doubt that there were signs that we could do big things in America. And, that, you know, if you can crack America as a market, in inverted commas, not that we used to think like this, but, yeah, if you can do well in America, you kind of you set yourself up globally. And, yeah, it, that I mean, I think that played as much as a role as anything else really was seeing seeing a downward trajectory rather than an upward one and as i said as you know you you could point to a decline and shrinking in the overall market which did happen dramatically between our first uh, and then second and then even third records you know the, the market did shrink dramatically and obviously record companies all shit themselves because you had this newfangled streaming thing which was just raping the industry and i'm not being funny but it still is. It still is, yeah. Completely. It still is. It still is, and that's another thing that fucking pisses me off. Do you know what I mean? You've got consumers that sat there going, well, I want it all for free. I want to pay fucking £8.99 to Spotify, and I want to have access to everything on planet. How fucking sustainable do you think that is, for fuck's sake? Do you know what I mean? It's just a fucking joke. But people are used to it, so they don't want to pay for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you want to think you can pay fucking eight quid and get... Thousands and thousands and th I, I mean, I might be wrong. I don't even know how fucking streaming platforms work. I don't. I don't have a sub subscription to one, not one. But it, it it's what it's done to the people listening to music and the level of entitlement in terms of well, I've been getting my music effectively for free. They're probably sat there going, "It's not free. I pay eight pound ninety nine a month." Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? What do you think that does? Absolutely, fuck all. That's what that does. Where do you think that goes? Nowhere. Goes to that fucking banner on front of page. Don't go to any artists. You're not supporting anything apart from your right to get free fucking music is the way I see it. You know what I mean? I'm sure, I'm sure that might be unpalatable for a lot of people, but I could give a fuck. I don't care. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It killed the fucking industry. And it's the, you know... People want to know why the music doesn't exist. It's because they're all fucking sat there streaming shit for practically fucking free. Do you know what I mean? It, it's sickening. It really is. And I know that people will be sat there going, well, time to change, mate. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't mean I'm wrong. Doesn't mean I'm wrong. And what happened as a result of that is all these record companies sat there and went, oh, shit. That's like, that's a massive bastard chunk out of our revenue. Right. Okay. Right, drop everyone who isn't selling millions of records. Quick, drop them, go. And as a result, we were dropped because all these, pe all these people who were making the money shit themselves because they realized that the IP was effectively out there for free. And that's why at that time you had all these massive branded artists sat there going, right, okay, we've got to change up here 
because we've got to find new ways of bringing in revenue. Do you know what I mean? And and diversifying within the industry because the the main way of making money for the art had been taken away by, like I say, these streaming platforms where you can pay a very small fee and and get access. To, how is anyone supposed to survive doing that? Like as a as as an art, unless you're like fucking Coldplay or something like that. Do you know what I mean? The only because at that point you you're restricted to making your money really from. And it's not just, as I say, don't get me wrong. It's not just like making money for the band. I'm talking about for the record companies because it's the record companies that fund the bands and give them the advances and give them the time to progress. You know, like the Verve, you know what I mean? Their first out two albums didn't sell a great deal. Mm. And in this day and age, they'd have been dropped, kicked to the curb and would have never existed again. It's only because you had... You know, people like David Boyd at Hook Records who had the ability to be like, well, yeah, I know the record didn't do what everyone wanted it to, but I love this band. I believe in them. They're going to smash it. What happened when all the streaming shit kicked off was people like Dave Boyd got sacked. They got sacked and, and, and replaced by fucking business people who were there to watch the bottom line. And go, right, what's all this nonsense about giving bands time to develop? Fuck that off for a game of soldiers, because that don't make us any money. So as I say, anyone who hasn't sold what we thought they should be selling initially, fucking drop them. And that's what happened to us. And that's what happened to us twice. Do you know what I mean? Our sales progressively got, you want to look at it from this point of view, they got worse and worse. You know, first album did a certain amount. Second album did a proportion less. Third album then did proportionally less than the second. So it was like a gradual decline. Do you know what I mean? And mm. it, it does make me laugh a little bit or the, like the, and don't get me wrong, like I, I love our fans. Of course I do. But there is a little element of all these people like, oh, why aren't the music still around and all this shit? Well, maybe some of you fuckers would have come and seen us on a third tour. We might have we still been around. Do you know what I mean? You, you go from selling out venues and fucking these places being packed out to half full rooms. And like, I don't care who you are, unless, you know, unless you literally can't see. And even then some bastard's going to tell you, uh, no one likes a half full room. Yeah, man, of course. You know what I mean? And as I say, there, there's often times where people uh, romantically go on about the music and why this and why that. And it's like, well, fucking, like I say, if you'd have got off your ass and come and seen us on a third album tour, they, you know, a lot of people don't even realize we've done a third album. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. And we were let down massively by the record label that ran our third album campaign. Because again, one single, oh, that didn't do very well. So just to let you know, lads, all these grand plans we had for this big campaign, uh, we're not doing it because the first single didn't do what we thought we were going to do. So we shit ourselves and pulled all the money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking, it's a fucking, it's a cruel, it's a cruel space to exist in that you've really got to, have a lot of protection of very very thick skin to be able to 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 navigate it and you know again I, I i don't like ranting about things like this and i don't like ranting about the streaming side of things because i know that's how a lot of people have grown up consuming music and look you know my opinion don't mean jack shit and i'm sure there'll be a lot of people who listen to what i've said and be like well he's a fucking wanker i want my music for free would you work for free 
Mr. Person listening to this, doing whatever you do, would you fucking go and do all that all day for free and get note at the end of it and have your boss say, oh, just so you know, I get 95% of that. You get 5%. In fact, no, you don't. You get like 0.15% and I get the other. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no fucker would do it. What is it with people on that level of entitlement? I don't fucking get it. It's a mad thing. It really is a, a mad thing when you look at it like out of context. And it, it ultimately it just cheapens the art, right? Exactly. You know, it just, it's like it be music rather than become this like special thing, it just becomes this like this throwaway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, uh, yeah, it just cheapens the, cheapens the art. And it's, um, it's a shame. That, that era that you, you're talking around, around that second and um, third record, you know, that's when it all collapsed, right? That happened to so many bands around there. That's when everything everything changed. And like you say, in the scrabble for the record companies to protect their own interests, the only people that won were the streaming companies. They kind of like, they you know, Spotify are the ones who make the real money, which is madness when you think about it, you know, absolute um absolute madness. But there's a, I mean, I recommend a book, man. I had, I had a, an author on, or a journalist, a music journalist called Ian Winwood, and he wrote for like Kerrang for like twenty something years, and he wrote a book called Bodies, and it's um it's kind of like partly his own um experience of mental ill health and the music industry as a writer, but also an overview of the industry itself, hmm. and and everything you've just talked about, you know how um streaming changed everything for the worse, how this whole the way he described it of like the hardest thing for bands to deal with is that you take these group of young people and one minute they're in and the next minute they're out and that is it and he said the the catastrophe that that causes for people mentally is just is like devastating and no one's talking about but it's a hell of a book i think you know i think you'd really um i think you'd really dig it man yeah um and it's it's all things that are very true and that people don't or just don't or can't be bothered to acknowledge Hmm. You know what I mean? And especially on such young, such young minds, do you know what I mean? And I, I know I say it a lot, but it's very much like kids in football, isn't it? You know, you get, you go into some, you go into Manchester United's Academy at fucking five years old and you're still there at eight and you're still there at 11 and you've got all your mates and your parents go, oh yeah, you're going to be a massive footballer. And you get to 15, 16 and you get kicked out. Yeah. And they're just like, you know, there are actually quite a lot of systems and companies and, things now that specialize in dealing with with people who will who will let slip through the the net like and you know what i mean don't get me wrong it's a fucking cruel world and anyone who's been alive and is cognitive enough will realize that do you know what i mean it, it is a cruel world and it, the cookie doesn't always crumble um to to, to sue every individual but the, you know that you have to have sympathy for for young people in, in in you know as i say whether it's whether it is football or something like that or or being in a band and um being hot one minute and then not i mean you know i remember i remember having i think it was on the way to the isle of white festival was it i can't remember when we played that but was it on the way to isle of white but i sat down with one at managers and um, we had quite a long conversation and they were like, look, you need to make the most of this because, it, you know, if you want my opinion, I think there's a, a big fucking storm coming into this industry, which is going to wipe out a lot of, a lot of people. And, you know, no one, no one's got, no one's got a God given right to anything. No one's entitled to anything. 
even if you've been doing it for a while, don't mean you're still entitled to do it or, you know, at the same level, but it has to be acknowledged that, yeah, do you know what I mean? That it's a, it's a, it's a incredibly difficult place to be mentally. And that, that, I think that drove a wedge between us four as well. That whole shit, what's happening here. And all right, that record didn't do as well. And, and you know, especially when you've been filled up full of bullshit, by countless people. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to learn. You have to, well, you have to learn that everyone talks bullshit. Basically everyone's a fucking blagger and everyone talks bullshit. I don't care how fucking high up they are in whatever fucking industry. Do you know what I mean? Fucking 85% of it is blagging, blagging your way there and blagging it while you actually are there. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, I, I, I became jaded and hardened because I'd spent too long listening to and believing the words of blaggers, basically. Or people, yes men, or people who just didn't have a fucking clue. Do you know what I mean? When we recorded that second album, the buzz from the record label was insane and the things they were saying to us and, you know, like how big they were saying it was going to be. And you can only take so many of them disappointments. Do you know what I mean? And it takes a strong mind to be like, right, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's go again. I mean, it depends how you view that didn't work. But do you know what I mean? It's like overseeing that gradual decline um, is a fucking difficult thing. And as I say, especially when you sing as having problems actually singing and the methods that we used to write dried up because of all these other outside pressures. Do you know what I mean? Without first you're just writing and you're writing tunes you love and then before you know it you're second guessing everything you're writing because you're like well is this if how how the fuck are the record company going to view this how are the bands going to view this like and then you just get paralyzed again and then you're like oh uh fuck knows what's happened here <laughs> do you know what i mean and yeah yeah it, that that bury your head in the sand attitude just gets more appealing really and 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 bigger and I don't know it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to overcome I mean I've got it now do you know what I mean I got my album out now and I got tons of people going well why can't I find it on Spotify because it ain't fucking there that's why <laughs> <It's not wrong. laughs> you won't find it because it ain't there now, I'm not saying it isn't ever going to be there but I, I don't I, I you know like I'm sick of seeing this shit when people put stuff out like pre-save me stuff pre I don't even know what fucking pre-save means what the fuck is that shit? Pre-save my new sing? Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? What the fuck? And that's why I focus primarily on physical editions of this. And I'll tell you what, there is a digital version. It's called my fucking SoundCloud link. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, why the fuck would I? I don't even know. I get the shit on fucking Spotify and stuff like that. I'm sure I will probably get there in the end, I think. I don't really know, but... And that's the thing with the with the way, way I've released my album is it's been very very DIY, and uh, you know I'm kind of happy with it being not an exclusive club, but you've got to want to listen. You've got to want to actively seek that record out to be able to listen to it. Yeah, that's yeah, why definitely. I don't like people going. Well, I've just taken half a second to click on my computer and I can't find it. Oh, it's like, oh, is that too much fucking trouble for you? Is it? Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like I say, people are just fucking entitled. And I realize that I'm probably alienating loads of my customer pay. Well, if you want to look at it like that, but 
that's just what fucking that's just what it's turned into with all the streaming stuff. It's just the, the convenience of it and everything has just destroyed any value. And like you said earlier, you know, when I was young, you go in HMV and your mum and dad would be like, right, you know, you can each have you can each buy two albums each. That was a fucking tough decision with that. <laughs> would it you know just, I mean? yeah. Because you got 30 quid and you're like, right, like, you know, average price of a CD, 15 quid. So I can get two. Right, I don't want to get some of the shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I can understand it from a way where people are like, well, yeah, but we're streaming and that. You get to you get to hear the whole thing to know if it is shit. It's like, fuck off. You're going to listen to it and go, oh, that's really good. And then you're going to go, oh, well, why am I going to buy the physical when I can just carry on listening to it for this pitiful amount of money that I've paid for this? <laughs> yeah, that's you know it. I mean? but, Mate, I've got so many albums that I love to bits. And the first time I heard them, I didn't like them. And the only reason I persevered is because I paid 15 quid for it. Yeah, exactly. That and it, and I, I learned it. And, you know, sometimes you have to hear a record at two in the morning, or you have to hear it in a car, or you have to hear it with your mate. And then suddenly it all makes sense. And you think, wow, this is now one of my top 10 greatest albums of all time. And Absolutely. I wouldn't have those records, you know, if I was just like streaming them and chucking away. So, mate, I know exactly... Um, exactly what you're saying and i want to get us to your album mate because i think like i want to um you know it, it does the the story of of the music and your story within that like it feels i love how it's kind of come and this or not a happy ending but it's almost like a happy beginning to another chapter but before we kind of get us to there you know after that third record and you guys make this decision to not do the band anymore um what what was that like to just come home and be like, all oh, right, so I was Adam, the guitarist in the music, and now I'm just like Adam. And I'm, you know, like, what was that like when that all kind of finished for you, mate? What happened in the gap? Uh, well, you know, without without wanting to trivialise genuine struggles that people go through on this earth, it was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life so far. I've, I have no way of communicating that to you, really, honestly, in terms of how deeply that affected me. Um, it still affects me. It still affects me now. Um, it, it it's it's incongruous really because I've just gone and on and listed all these reasons why things declined and got to the point that they did, and especially they got to the point where it was Rob that turned around and said, "Look, I I can't do this anymore." Do you know what I mean? And then us three were like, um, "Okay, right." And, you know, you can't force someone to do something they don't want to do. And, you know, after all this hindsight years later, I perfectly, perfectly understand why Rob did what he did and why he couldn't do it anymore and why he found it. I understand all those things now, but at the time it was, you know, well, I honestly can't really put into words how much that affected. It put me in a shell shock that lasted for over a decade, I think. Mm-hmm. And that shell shell shock turned into, um, I don't know, I became like, a, a, well, I became a very malignant entity. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you squeeze something fucking hard enough underground, you either get a diamond or you get coal. And what I turned into was, was akin to coal, really. I don't know, I just... It stripped me of any, um, what's the word? I don't know, it kind of stripped me of humanity, really. And I just became, like I say, a fucking malign entity, a, a real nasty, um, damaged person is what it turned me into. 
But you know, I I kind of wore that as a fucking badge of honor for a long time, me. Right. You know what I mean? They were like, well, then this is my new suit of armor. You know, whereas the band used to be my suit of armor, this new fucking hatred for everything will be my new suit of armor because you can't hurt something that is permanently hurting anyway. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's, it's almost like you turn around and you go, oh, well, it can't get any worse than this. And I'm still fucking breathing. So fuck it. But I lost, you know, I didn't listen to music for a decade. I didn't play guitar for a decade. Forgot to look after myself in lots of ways. I just developed all these cop- all these different coping mechanisms, which kind of formed my new <laughs> outlook on life. And I've talked about it quite a lot, but it was like someone flicked a switch in me. And I just, I went from being a lovely, quite a lovely lad, me, and just one day woke up and went, you know what, fuck this and fuck you. And fuck everything else as well for that fucking matter. And I just became, um, yeah, not a very nice person really and very bitter and all that sort of shit. And like it, you know, it took me, it took my identity away, which is something I struggled with a lot being very young was I never really felt that like I fitted anywhere. Um, I didn't really fit in with any particular group of friends. I kind of flitted between things. And as soon as I discovered guitar and just, you know, like formed the band and that it, Life made sense, do you know what I mean? And it made perfect fucking sense. It made perfect sense for a long time. And like that was the kind of the the counterpoint, I suppose, to to the fact that things were declining was shit like this is what makes me me. And you know, I know years later and that you know, you can break free of those shackles a bit and you realize that look, you know, that it didn't really take all your identity. It, identity did it but it 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 did do you know at that that point in time at that age with the with the undiagnosed mental illness i had you know i mean i'd done all this adhd undiagnosed and got diagnosed at 27 you know which totally changed my life um and there's oftentimes i wish i'd have been diagnosed a lot earlier and got on the medication because i don't know it was you know it was like living completely um um what's the word living without a fucking key ingredient do you know what i mean living without i don't know but as soon as i got my medication anyway i was like oh for fuck's sake do you know what i mean like bollocks i've lived for 27 years without this shit and this is how this is how it could have been and this is how it is now and yeah um you know what did i do i did nothing for five years i don't think sat around chuntering to myself and fucking screaming at the moon you know what I mean? And then um, I started gardening with my mate. He was just like, look, I know you're not doing out. I've got too many gardens and I can't get around them. Do you fancy helping me? And that, that just so happens to coincide with um, my girlfriend at the time had just bought a house and I started living with her and the fucking back garden was full of moss. So I went on a big, you know, like I just looked for shit to keep me busy and I, I did a, I went and researched lawn care for fucking about three to six months and in the process became pretty fucking clued up on it man so when he were like do you want to come gardening with me i were going out and straight away i were like well they've got this problem they need to do this that and other and i very quickly were like oh i found someone else here i found someone that i could feel part of yeah yeah it's not like it's not being a fucking globally successful rock star but 
I have to kind of accept that that door is not open to me in the same way that it once was. Uh, on reflection, I realised that it probably was. Well, I don't know. You know, like, I get a bit pissed off because there's a lot of people who are like, well, it was a self-imposed exile, mate, and if you'd have just cracked on afterwards, you'd, you know, you'd still have been... But fuck off. You know, I don't believe that for a second. Well, mental illness don't right. work like that, Ad. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, it don't, yeah. It don't work like that. It's just that fucking simple, right? No, exactly. And, you know... Like, even for reviews on this record, there were one review I read, and it was like, it's just such a shame that it took this lad so long to to show the world the other stuff that he can do. And again, you're like, fuck off. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you end up feeling like Alan Partridge when that bloke's telling him his book's being pulped. It's <laughs> like, fuck off, for God's sake. Fucking hell. No, but, um, you know, there was a lot of shit that I had to go through, you know, in my own mind, sort of, discover it's difficult really because especially with the the undiagnosed mental issues i had and you know i've i've come to the conclusions afterwards that majority of people go through like an arc in the life where you know you come out of school and you either go into a more normalized work environment or you go to university and i truly believe that college and or university especially at that time was you know not only further education but <clears throat> much more a case of a vital part of everyone's social upbringing mm. in terms of you go away from home, you're forced for a lack of better of a word to, to, to get along with these new people that you meet in your forged relationships. You learn about people, you learn about yourself, you learn about your limitations and your strengths, all those sorts of shit. Those things weren't available to us. Do you know what I mean? We, we went straight out of school into a pressure cooker where it felt like just all of us being huddled. You know, it's like fucking summit in Everest in bad weather when you're all in a fucking tent. It's like, it's too bad to go out there. Should we go out? No, fuck that. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, it was, I've semi-lost my train of thought. But, um, yeah. How, you mentioned the um, ADHD diagnosis, Adam, there. How did that come about, mate? What what led to you thinking, oh, I need to... um. I got, fucking, I got fucking sick of myself. I got sick of, I got sick of the shit that I was seeing, the shit that I was hearing, the shit that I was thinking. I got fucking sick of it all. Just literally got so sick of it all. I went to doctors and went, look, you do something or I fucking will. Basically. <clears throat> and they were, uh, luckily I had private medical care at that point as a result of, of, you know, the, the things that were put in place because of the band. And, um, yeah, I was able to like, you know, I went and got a referral and three days later I was on medication and I consider myself very lucky because I, I, I have quite a lot of people coming to me now saying, look, I'm being diagnosed with ADHD on the NHS and it's an absolute fucking nightmare. And it's mm -hmm. like my, my response is, yeah, it fucking will be because they couldn't give two shits because all they see when you, when you come along is fucking a drain on their budget. And that's unfortunately, as much as anyone thinks that people care about them, they fucking don't. You are anyone who's on any medication like that. All you are is a fucking number and a drain on their budget. And in the majority of cases, they will fight tooth and nail to stop you getting that, uh, that diagnosis. Nothing to do with improving your life or protecting you. It's improving the bottom line. And that's unfortunately the sort of um, realities that I've learned to, and you know, Things that I find quite hilarious now are dealing with doctors, especially doctors who make noises about trying to take my pills off me. 
And when I just turned around and calmly say, I'm sorry, you don't come even close to having any authority to take these off me, I'm afraid. And then, look, I know I only pay £9 for my prescription, and I know you pay a fortune for those, but that's not my problem. It's yours. That's so see system. you later. Yeah. Fuck yeah. off. Mate, that's I tough. Have no fucking, I have no... Look, I, I hold no quarter with these sorts of people. Look, I've got nothing against doctors or people like that. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there are fucking idealists out there. It's, oh, that's not how it works. Doctors care about their patients. Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do in an age where you can't even fucking get older one without going through some diamond wall if you're lucky enough. Do you know what? Jesus Christ. But yeah, it makes me laugh, really. Um, yeah. because you know, it as I say, I walked in, saw a psychiatrist, and very quickly were diagnosed and had repeat sessions with him, dealt with stuff, and got a plan in place. And they pressed on, and then you see these poor bastards who are trying to contend with getting the NHS to, to you know, and as I say, I have reviews, and every time I have a review, you can just hear it in the voice. You know, they're almost saying, please come off these pills because it's draining our monthly patient budget. Oh, boo fucking who. Go away. Yeah, man. Yeah, so it's a, it's, I suppose when you've like seen how the system can work, you know, when you see how the system in place, when you are able to speak to a psychiatrist and get a diagnosis and get something that helps and you think, well, that's how it should be, right? That's how yeah, it exactly. should should be. And then, But it, it's not, and it's not the case for everyone. And that's... Yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough. If as we get through that period, man, was it around sort of like pandemic time that the Tim's uh, listening party kind of cropped up? Because that was just such a, you know, like it's a it's a really beautiful part of your story is how this kind of thing like started to happen, and it, you know, it, it felt like it came along at a time when you wasn't expecting it and led to loads of stuff that you thought that you know you weren't expecting at all you know but it was that that kind of the the kickstart for everything that you're doing now that listening party yeah yeah without doubt had you I, heard I, of the listening party did you know what it was or because am i right in thinking you weren't like on socials or any of that then mate no correct yeah no i had no no contact i didn't even have email at that point mate wow i just i'd stopped i stopped checking my email I didn't check my email for about five years six years or something like that and that used to make me laugh do you know what I mean? I used to like, I used to find it really funny. Like people say, well, I've emailed you. And she's like, I don't fucking use email. And they're like, <laughs> you don't use email. I just used to get off on that response, me. Because I didn't give a shit about it anymore. And it's like, look, what, who the fuck is going to be contacting me via email that I give a goddamn shit about in this day and age? Go on, tell me. Who? The band's dead. Who else is contacting me by a fucking email? No one. So fuck off. Do you know what I mean? I ain't got time for that fucking shit. All it does is remind me what I'm not doing anymore. So yeah, yeah. yeah no, I wasn't. I wasn't part of social media or anything. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was the pandemic that gave me my opportunities. Really, I mean, you know, I know that most people will be like, "Well, it's a horrible time for humanity. How dare you get something positive out of it?" Well, I'm going to fucking apologize. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, it it brought up circumstances for me that played into my hands. Do you know what I mean? And I am of course aware that it was a horrible time for a lot of people. And a lot of people lost a lot, um, personally, financially, mentally, everything. Um, but it brought about a set of circumstances that 
reconnected me to important parts of my past that I killed and buried. Do you know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, I've been doing, I've been gardening. Look, once I found out, once I worked out that I liked gardening and um, that it gave me a purpose and it made me feel useful and not just like a useless drain, um, I loved it. And I did it five days a week for a very long time, very seven years or summer. And, um, but yeah, when the, when the pandemic came around, obviously initially everyone thought it was something that you, you know, if you got it, you were fucked. So, and I, you know, like everyone at that time, I think I was a bit scared and it meant that I stopped gardening, um, which filled me with anxieties. Cause I'm like, well, the lad that I'm working with, maybe he'll find someone else or, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to go back to it. But yeah, so basically a relatively long story short, during lockdown, there was a group came up on the phone, on my phone, on the WhatsApp that was the Music Boys and it was Tim Viggan saying, look, there's this listening party thing. And, you know, I was like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Do you know what I mean? And like, it's so hard to describe, but, anything to do with that band triggered me so fucking badly. So bad that when that group came up, like my partner at the time looked at me and were like, you look like you've seen a fucking ghost. And it's like, well, to all intents and purposes, I fucking have seen a ghost. I've just had a text off one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I haven't heard from these like in 10 years and suddenly all here here it is. And to the point where I ignored it, I ignored it for about two weeks. And, um, you know, I have detailed this in other podcasts, but, you know, I I still hadn't come to terms with the personal decisions that Rob had made, which indirectly affected all of us. Um, I still hadn't come to terms with that. So, you know, my response to it initially was very negative, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> you know, and there were people like, well, you can reply. You know, you're like, loom forward. Am I fuck? The fuck you think I'm replying to that shit for? And anyway, what happened? I, um, Rob reached out to me. And Rob reached out to me and just said, look, I I want to speak to you. And I was just like, yeah, of course. And we had a really long healing conversation, if you want to put it like that, where, um, he basically apologized for the way he went about exiting the band, which, you know, on, on reflection, he had nothing to apologize for, really. He was just saving himself, really. And we were all sort of drowning and he had to do what he had to do. But anyway, long story short, he apologized. And I was like, well, nice one, mate. Yeah, that's, and I think that's all because he just, he literally just fucked off. And that was it. There was no like, there's no explanations or chats or all. It was, you know, akin to a marriage, really. It'd be like coming home and finding the love of your life gone with a little note saying, sorry, but I'm off. So how the fuck do you deal with that? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I'm a very passionate, emotional led by my emotions. I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, you shouldn't be a slave to your emotions. Well, guess what? I am. Do you know what I mean? That's just, I'm a walking, talking embodiment of my own emotions and I wear them on my sleeve, you know, not the sort of person that can um, 
operate any other way really and but yeah yeah long story short me and rob had a, a great conversation i instantly forgave him because that's all i ever needed that's all i ever needed was for him to turn around and say look i'm sorry but i i can't do this look in my eyes mate i can't do this anymore and at that point you're like ah no, no all right mate. i completely understand completely understand like, you know, because at the time you think, well, does he think he's bigger and better than us? This, that, and the other. And, you know, I can have quite a paranoid um, mind as well if it's not nurtured in the right way. Do you know what I mean? And I don't hear the right things. I can I can write my own narrative and then forget that I've written it. You ever done that? You ever yeah. Had, you ever, ever had an argument in your own head with someone? And then <laughs> when you-, you get together with them, you treat them like they've actually had that argument with you and you're like, oh shit, no, I made all that up. Yeah. I was, I was just in the shower chatting to myself. Yeah. That's uh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. But so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so all the Rob stuff aside and healing that rift. So as soon as that rift was healed anyway, between me and him, because it, it enabled me to reopen the door to, to all the shit that I'd, you know, if look, if anyone even mentioned, the music to me in the 10 years after that band, you know, it was like dealing with the Tasmanian devil on steroids. Yeah. I fucking didn't take kindly to it. Mm. You know, I didn't mention it to anyone else and I didn't expect anyone to mention it to me because it's, you know, it's like I have a right to be safe and free from the things that happen in my head when I hear those words. So yeah, there were a long time where I couldn't even, so yeah, anyway, healing that riff with Rob, I, I then just went on like a, I fell into a rabbit hole of the music and like I started watching all these YouTube videos and fucking in floods of tears. Do you know what I mean? Just it's emotional thinking about it now because, you know, I'd, it's amazing what you can train your brain to forget. Mm. And like suddenly I'm watching like us at Big Day Out 2003 and it's not like being tickled by these memories. It's like being sledgehammered by them in your heart. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. sledgehammer battering your heart with these memories. And you're like, Oh my God, like I forgot. Yeah. Like, I forgot. I forgot all of this. And it just, it like, uh, you know, snowballing is probably not a big enough term really. I just became, I became re-consumed by it in the same way that I always was. I was always consumed by this band and everything to do with it. And, you know, when it went, it left such a massive void in my life. And then, you know, when it suddenly reappeared and I was friends with Rob again, that just gave me so much back. You know what I mean? Even just to heal that personal relationship. And then I just went on this odyssey of discovering my mine and our past and remembering that I actually used to be able to play guitar really well and all that sort of shit. It, it was mental. And then I went on this mad three month long rant on this WhatsApp group. Do you know what I mean? Where I was just whoring my memories out. Cause that's the other thing I do. Have. I have a stupidly good long-term memory. I can remember ridiculous detail. And so I was the one pumping out all these memories into this WhatsApp group and getting everyone going, oh, shit, yeah, fuck it. How the hell do you remember that? <laughs> I, I really buzzed off that, do you know what I mean? Because mm. it's, like, it's like I'm the keeper of all these memories for, for, for the rest of the band. And 
I was pushing all those things out. And that's when Tony, one of the other managers, because I, 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 I went on the chat and went, look, sorry, I know that I'm probably making your phones ping a million times a day. I do apologize. But if it's pissing you off, just mute the notifications because I aren't stopping. <laughs> and like Tony were like, no, it's Ace, man. I love it. It's like some mental stream of consciousness podcast. Well, he's got all this shit coming out. And um, yeah, I it, it, that it just, it's hard to describe, man. Really, really, really fucking hard to describe. I can't, it really is fucking hard to describe what it did for me and like how it stimulated me like stimulated my fucking soul, never mind like my brain, but it stimulated a, a, a desire to be alive. Do you know what I mean? Rather than a futile plane of existence, which is what my life was for a long time. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, just I suppose uh, for you guys to get that opportunity to kind of, you know, just say, look at what we did. Look at what we did, you know, and just to kind of like, take the good stuff from it after potentially a long time of only thinking about like the ending and the negative yeah. and the, to kind of like to, to celebrate rather than grieve it almost, yeah. you know, that, that must've been hugely healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Spot on. Um, and the, I think the eye opening thing really was the sheer amount of fans who like, connected to that listening party because i had no frame of reference for social media or anything like that but you know tim were like fucking hell the announcement of that listening party has got over a thousand likes in an hour or summer and that, that's that's a lot yeah and suddenly it was becoming aware of how many people still loved the band because i, I think i don't know whether it's all the rest of the lads or maybe phil uh, phil and rob mainly but i think phil and rob are kind of locked in this and I think maybe even still where they, they don't acknowledge or believe we were as big or as good as we were, which I find a little bit painful, really, in some ways. Do you know what I mean? There's When people are turning around and saying, oh, you guys are up there with Led Zeppelin for me and stuff like that, they're like, no, don't be fucking stupid. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, you, you can't do that. Yeah, let's hear more from this guy, please. Yeah, yeah it's like if, if this lad puts us alongside them, it's not for you to undo that for him. That's his personal fucking shit, man. You can't tell him that that's not true. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, let people love it. Let people love it unashamedly, man. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like, stop being so modest that you're just like, oh, well, we were never as good as Led Zeppelin. Look, I'm not sat here saying that we're as fucking good as Led Zeppelin. I wouldn't dream of it. But if some fan... Puts, puts us in that category it is factually not for anyone else to disagree with that it is someone's feelings do you know what i mean anyway but the point was it you know the it was amazing to see how many people still love the band and i'd never been on social media now obviously i had to start a twitter account to take part in the listening party and again something that i've talked about on numerous podcasts was the night where they announced that listening party and all our tags you know our, our twitter handles were on the tweet and suddenly, you know, after about 10 minutes, I had 300 followers and, you know, at the next day I had a thousand and it just kept going up. And that was mental to me yeah. because and th then it was like, oh man, like I'm sort of the Pied Piper for all this. Do you know what I mean? Like the, almost like the keeper of a lot of the memories and, and I just loved 
being a fan like all them other people and being able to you know tweet about it and share share that love of the music with all these fans who've not heard any hide nor hair of us for for over a decade and look the amount of people who still now sort of send me messages or whatever saying look i you know i wondered what happened to you to to you guys after the band split and specifically you i you know i wanted to hear what you were doing and if there were new music coming out like where have you been and like i had that so much i was like uh, well i can't fit any context into a tweet so i'm going to start a youtube channel and put a video out so i can fully explain it and you know that's where my first youtube videos came from and the response i got to those was ridiculous you know in terms of the the level of positive response and so i don't sugarcoat shit me do you know what i mean i just fucking and i don't at the same time i have no problem in being open about things that affect me and you know it, the, the response i got to those videos was was overwhelming but there was a lot of people saying oh mate you're, you're so brave speaking like that and i i do tangi- tangibly remember thinking why what are you want about why the fuck am i brave for just telling people a story or telling people how i feel like i don't i'm I, like i say i'm not one of them people that's that feels a need to protect things like that if something hurts me i've got no problem saying yes that hurt me did that do you know what i mean it, it but it it just became it became another addiction of mine sort of connecting with the music fans talking to the music fans and you know people saying wow i can't believe you've replied to me and all this shit and that actually wound me up do you know what i mean they, it wound me up that it's like well, what, what the fuck do you think i am been a gardener <laughs> for the last fucking seven years why do you honestly think I, i've never never understood that really it's like you know people in bands or whatever are just fucking people it's not like there's anything elevated about them i, I or no other artist is above any fucker so i just found it weird when people are like i can't believe you've replied it's like well you've asked me a question <laughs> <laughs> what else am i gonna do yeah i'm, yeah. I'm, gonna, re- I'm gonna reply to you I, i'm not sat here going oh fuck off peasant do you know what i mean like i have no ego in that sense whatsoever apart from obviously the you know the 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 ego that everyone has that's necessary to keep them stood fucking upright with a straight back. Do you know what I mean? Everyone yeah. has some element of ego in terms of how you view yourself. And that's what over the years have become so damaged with me was how I viewed myself with such a low self-esteem and such loathing for myself that this was all just like a breath of fucking fresh air to connect with all these people that love the music that, you know, people saying, you know, you're one of my favorite guitarists of all time and shit. And I just, I'd been shielded away from all this stuff, you know, and then people say, well, through your own fault again, it's like, all right, fair enough. Maybe, um, you know, but yeah, that, like we said before, that's just not how it works. You know, no. it's not a, it's not a fault. It's not a choice. That's not how, that's not how like mental health stuff works. It's just, it's that, that simple. And uh, you know, that, that then obviously I suppose once you've realized how many people are, are still out there and are still interested, because when you guys, um, you know, when you guys were, were blowing up, when you were doing your thing, like I, f- I suppose pre, you know, the internet was around, but it wasn't like, as we know it now, and people didn't get to know about stuff about bands. Right. You couldn't like, you couldn't just, you know, say, Oh, this guy's my favorite fucking guitarist. I'm just going to message him and ask him like, you know, what his favorite 
sandwiches or whatever like we can now on twitter right like everyone's so accessible so people there must have been that buzz for people of being like you know i wasn't able to do this with the music at that time because the world didn't work like that now and here they are right now and i'm just gonna like just chat to adam and see if he tweets me back but um yeah so it's a really cool thing but then i suppose that outpouring of love then that leads to the gigs right that's like the next the next step on this journey absolutely yeah um yeah and that was terrifying. <laughs> that was terrifying. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the work really was the sort of work that I needed to do with Rob because as, as I probably alluded to it, it, it's, it was getting Rob to agree to it. That was the fundamental thing to make those gigs work. And that took a lot of time and a lot of, cajoling shall we say um because like i say once once me and rob had reconnected and i'd fallen back in love with all the memories and even picked up a guitar again and um you know we, the first time i picked up a guitar i played started playing dream twister which is something i just really made, yeah yeah that's i just made it up on the spot just inspired by all this fucking like fuck i can't even describe it man honestly just not even euphoria it was bigger than that in my brain was bigger than that it was bigger yeah. than euphoria it was just something else some other some place that i thought had gone gone do you know what i mean it brought color back to the world it brought a smile a, a non-forced smile back in my life do you know what i mean it made me go out in the street and smile at strangers rather than fucking snarling at them if they got too close to me do you know what i mean yeah yeah i fucking turned into an animal after all that and then the joy of all this and yeah and rob 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 was terrified and so was i and i think that's we fed off each other and you know i i very quickly said look i want to do this now i want to do it and i know you're scared but like i'll do whatever it takes to get you comfortably on that stage and if any if anything or anyone gets in your way i will fucking flatten them trust me you don't have to worry about anything I will literally pave law uh, like a, a way forward for you here to, to, to make it comfortable for you. And that's what it kind of became about for me. We're, you know, that's what the kitchen videos when, um, you know, that was going around to Rob and, and going, right, okay, I'll come around, I'll bring an acoustic and let's just see what happens, if, see if you can actually sing these songs still. And that's what the purpose of those kitchen videos were that are on my YouTube channel. It was just the first little tentative steps of getting Rob to, because, you know, it wasn't just Rob being like, oh, well, I struggle to sing those songs now, which was a massive part of it, but it, Rob had to go through the same thing that I went through, and but it was very different for Rob because I think I, Rob had a lot more negative connotations, I think, rather than I think a lot of my negative connotations were mainly down to the breakdown of mine and Rob's relationship, having, having been as close as we were. Whereas I think Rob was genuinely traumatized by a lot of the things that went on in the music. And I don't mean like things that happened internally, personally, I'm talking about the struggles that I've already outlaid in terms of pressure on him to hit notes and pressure when he's losing his voice and being the front man and, declining record sales you know people are fragile things and some people are more fragile than others and even fragile people have strength in other areas but i think rob was affected deeply <clears throat> by the um 
the stress of being in that band. So, yeah, it was a lot of soft, softly, softly um, supporting each other and, you know, even leading up to the gigs, I was getting messages from Rob just saying, look, just so you know, I'm terrified. Not just terrified, I'm, like, so fucking frightened that it's it's not good. Do you know what I mean? And all the while, I'd just be like, it's all right, mate. Like, I am too. <laughs> and I'll be there to fucking support you 100% away. And like I said to you back then, I won't fucking let anything bad happen. And if I even get sent that someone's bringing something to the table that we don't want, I'll dispose of them quickly and quietly. I'll just dispose of it and them so so that you don't have to worry about those sorts of things. And, yeah, you know, it, it, and... I think we were dreading the practices and that, and you know, that was another joyous occasion, the first practice and just mental really. Yeah. I think because um, like on your YouTube and stuff and like, obviously your podcast started around that time as well. Right. But I think, cause you talked about this stuff so openly, I think like people who are into the, into the music and into the band were kind of almost going on that journey with you to some extent you know yeah. like it was really like personal and you know those kitchen videos and those rehearsal videos when they started like popping up i think people like you know people had a, a fair idea at that point what that would have took for you guys to do that and how important it was for you to do that but also how it wasn't you know it, it wasn't like an easy thing as well and i think having people yeah the way you kind of documented it and the way you talked so openly about it i think it let people in in a way that people really got behind not just going to see a band they like and having a beer with their mates and jumping around people got behind the whole like emotional aspect of it i think it felt like a big deal when it was all coming together to be honest yeah yeah it did um and yeah i mean i think all the podcasts and being as open as i was I think that was all just a, a striving to make people understand. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure some people look at it in a contrived way and be like, oh, he's fucking attention seeker. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, well, no. If I was a fucking attention seeker, I'd have been on social media for fucking decades doing this crap. <laughs> Don't just fucking do it now. It. Do you know what I mean? Come on. No, it was... I, I genuinely just wanted to give people context. Do you know what I mean? Because I kind of got sick of sick of like seeing these really short questions that had answers that could go on for years do you know what i mean yeah. like oh girl like why aren't you guys still together and you're like oh fuck that's a kind of worms <laughs> Where uh, does start? Yeah. yeah it's like I, look i don't even know what to tell you and you know this is what i'm touching back on when i was talking earlier about people who just don't understand <clears throat> and then you've got people saying well you know when's the tour being announced you're like no 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 there is no tour it's not what you're going to do all these rehearsals just for one gig. Yeah. Well, no, I don't believe you. So I'm not, I'm not coming to you in your show. Book tickets to your tour. Not touring. No, you'll be touring. No band does all this fucking rehearsal for one gig. We do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> then afterwards, like, when's the tour? There ain't going to be one. Oh, well, fucking hell. I didn't come to the reunion because I thought there was going to be a tour. Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> At that point, you're just like, I don't know what to do with you, mate. I know yeah. it's coming. I know it's coming from a good place, so I ain't going to have a go at you, but I don't know what to tell you now. Like, yeah. you just don't get it, do you? You do not get it. You think we're a product. You think we're a fucking Mars bar that gets on stage. It can do the same thing over and over again. And it's going to taste the same. We're fucking not. Do you know what I mean? What do you want? Give me your phone number. I'll fucking ring you up and I'll make you understand. Do you know what I mean? It's like, because 
with some people, they just fucking don't get it. You don't get it. And I, I, I know I keep saying that I accept it because it's just them being swept up with enthusiasm for the band, just like I was. And yeah, look, I, I wanted to, I, I'd, and I'd still do it. I'd still, I'd fucking play anywhere, anytime. And I'd love to tour. But I know from being in this band that that's not a possibility. Do you know what I mean? And, and I have to make peace with that. Yeah. So it, it's kind of, it becomes a little bit difficult and tiring trying to, you know, like it's well, like I, I know I can, I know I can probably sound quite, I don't know, maybe like aggressive or confrontational. I'm not like that with people. This is just kind of my internal thoughts. Do you know what I mean? Like I do, I completely acknowledge that as much of I documented all this stuff in YouTube videos, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. I am aware that there's people who won't have seen those, therefore don't have all that context. So, you know, like I'm, I'd never be anything other than lovely to fans of me or the music. Do you know what I mean? But it, it did become like a thing where I was like, how do I make people understand, you know, without just overtly, because that's the other thing, like people are entitled to privacy in my mind. So well, I didn't want to turn around and say, well, we're not doing that because Rob won't do it. Do you know what I mean? Because it, it kind of felt like hanging him out to dry when mm. he couldn't do it for his own very legitimate reasons. Do you know what I mean? And I know that fans of the band kind of find it difficult to accept. And look, Rob's not said he's never going to do it again. Rob's openly said that he'd built for the odd one off and things like that, which would be absolutely amazing, you know, like little celebrations, but now nah, when, you know, like it just, it doesn't feel right. I don't think for everyone anyway. I mean, like I said, I'd do it, but I just love this and like would take any chance I could to be a part of it again. So yeah, I massively look forward to the day when the music does something else. But unfortunately, that's, um, you know, it's just not, it's not the situation for varying reasons, for varying reasons. But yeah, um, it, all all this good feeling that built up and then the, the gigs, the gigs were delayed by year, weren't they, because of COVID, um, which actually, which actually I think we were pleased about in some ways, in a lot of ways. Because we were also fucking scared. It was like, yes, we get another year to like fucking like not have to face it. Do you know what I mean? Go, yeah. Going back earlier about not opening the door and letting that thing in. And it just gave us a little bit more time to to come to terms with everything. And, you know, um it it it, it was fucking amazing. It was fucking, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And even when it was being announced and even when I was on the stage, it was always quite front and center in my mind that, you know, as, as joyful and as celebratory as it was, it would, it also had like a, a cruel tinge to it. Do you know what I mean? Cause it was like, give it a taste of it all again. And then it's kind of going to get taken away. And I think that's probably one of the things that was growing in me that made me want to have the confidence enough to do my own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I mean, I was always compelled 
to make music. And the only thing that stopped that was the sheer emotional torment that I went through, even considering it, because it just brought back loads of memories that I couldn't deal with. So as a result of all this outpouring of love for me, for the band, for my guitar playing, for, for whatever, it just, uh, it naturally led to me conceptualizing this record. And as I say, that, that, that started when I thought, you know what, I'm going to get my guitars out of storage and open one of them up and actually play. And, you know, thinking, oh, fucking hell, I've played in a decade. I've been gardening for seven or eight years. So my hands are fucked. Like, am I even going to be able to play it? And very quickly realizing that I was better than I ever was. And I was like, fuck, how the fuck's that work? <laughs> I was like, maybe it's just because my hands are, I'm a lot stronger from having fucking grafted like I've done. And maybe it's just stronger hands, fingers, and wrists. But I was like, shit, I'm better than I ever was here. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just led to the easiest thing that I've ever written, which was Dream Twister, which literally wrote itself. Honestly, I I almost say I'd have no to do with writing. It came out of my fingers, that. Do you know what I mean? Literally, it just it fucking flowed out of my fingers. And see, I'm savvy enough that I thought, you know what? When I pick up a guitar and play it, I'm damn sure recording whatever I do. Because having spoken from experience of back in the day when I had that DAP player recording everything the music did, I just thought there's bound to be something here because I haven't played it for 10 years. Something's bound to happen. Yeah. And, you know, Dream Twister came out. I fell in love with it instantly and thought, I can see something here. I can see something bigger than just this piece of music. And, yeah, you know, in the same way the music came together naturally as a band and all the writing we did, you know, my, my solo album came together very naturally and based on the momentum all caused from reconnecting with the love of my life, which was the music pretty much. Yeah. That must've been healing maze. So, you know, the idea that you can like get the guitar out for the first time in 10 years and then write like the lead off track from the album, but that, yeah, for the, for that process to just flow, that must've been incredibly, um, incredibly almost cathartic you know to yeah. uh yeah magic it was pure fucking magic it's the only way i can describe it really just like being a kid you know like being five six fucking seven years old and i don't know like because everything just impact impacts you so much cleaner and clearer when you're that young do you know what i mean you're not jaded or burdened by anything else like joyous things are just joyous things when you're that young and that's the whole idea behind the Dream Twister video as well. And that's what that captures so perfectly. And little Theo McCulley is supposed to represent a young me full of fucking hopes and dreams and shit that don't get killed off by life. Um, and yeah, sort of coming up with Dream Twister was, it's, you know, one of those, one of those moments in life where you just like, I can't, I can't describe it as much as I couldn't describe the negative stuff earlier. It's like, I can't describe the positive stuff either. It's too overwhelming. I mean, some people go through life like dead, don't they? Do you know what I mean? They're yeah. all fucking dead and they don't fucking realize it's a shame, but I am the polar opposite, the complete polar opposite. I fucking feel everything and I sponge up everything. You know, some people are just numb, dumb, and fucking pre-programmed for whatever bullshit they're destined for. But, like, I 
I'm just heavily, heavily affected by everything. And it's all, it's, it's often been something I've been quite not ashamed about, but very aware of, you know what I mean? I've always been very aware that I'm different to other people and that I don't, I can't take, um, what's the, I don't weather storms in the same way or that negative things affect me a lot more than normal people. And, you know, there's times I wish I could be normal and shake shit off and go to the pub and have a laugh. But no, man, I'm brooding and shit really, really affects me deeply. And, but as I say, whether it's bad or whether it's good and positive things, I can find it just give you so much fucking levity. It's you you could float away. Yeah. I, I always like, like to ask creative people about this and I haven't really found the best way to like words the question, but it sometimes feel, and I see this in myself, right? I think about it when I talk about myself, but um, it's almost like a price you have to pay, right? So to be able to make the things that you make and to, to produce the art that you produce, you have to feel the way that you feel. And if you couldn't, and unfortunately with that, there comes a lot of positives and a lot of negatives. And, but that is a part of that creative process. Like if you weren't you, you wouldn't be able to play the guitar the way that you play it. You wouldn't be able to get the sounds out of it. Right. So it's almost like a, yeah, a very difficult price to pay for being able to do the thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with, um, um, majority of creative people, um, will have mental health issues or behavioral issues or some sort of processing issues that that um that as you say in turn actually fuel the they are that they do and you know i did like they say don't they you can't have great art without great suffering and i don't know even down to the amount of music that's come out of social movements and things like that or social deprivation and things like that. Do you know what I mean? There's, art always finds its way out of ashes, I think. Um, yeah. And whether that's the ashes of people's fucking minds or the ashes of cultures and societies and oppression, art always finds its way out of the cracks. Um, and yeah, um, I don't know. I, like I say, I've always just been a fucking emotional sponge. And it's a pain in the ass. Don't get me wrong. It's a fucking pain in the ass, like I've detailed. And I'd love to be able to be like, all oh, right, whatever. We offer a fucking Mackey's or a pizza or something. Yeah, I fucking can't do that. Do you know what I mean? I brood on things. And like I absorb other people's emotions as well, which is the thing I really wish I didn't do. And I can't help it. I, I absorb everyone else's emotions and it's almost like it charges a battery in me. And if it's, if I'm absorbing negative emotions, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. And that's why I protect myself so much from certain things. And I, you know, like, you know, like animal charity adverts, like, you know, I, I'm, I love, love animals ridiculously. So, and I know that the animal charity adverts, they have to show the bad stuff to get people to give money, but like, you've never seen anyone move faster than me or my partner at the time, like if an RSPCA advert comes on where it shows you the fucking dog they've just found in a shed that's been starving all its life and stuff. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. If I see one of those adverts, it's, it's like, oh, fucking brilliant. The next three months of my fucking life are ruined. Keep that fucking shit away from me. I'm sick of fucking absorbing it. 
I, I can't do, I can't do it. I can't fucking do it. It destroys me. Whereas most people would just be like, oh, poor dog. What's on, what's on next channel? Not me. That's three months of my life gone in a pit of fucking despair. Do you know what I mean? And that, that they're the things that really begin to grate on me. And they're the things that I go through life and build uh, coping mechanisms around. One of which is, look, if you're in a room with me and a TV is on and some sort of thing comes on showing abused animals, you better move fast for that fucking remote and get that channel changed to save my life. Because if you don't, I'm fucked. I can't pretend I haven't seen it. It will imprint itself right at the front of my brain and it will just beat me every day. Do you know what I mean? That's why, I've, that's why I don't look at the news. I'd, do you know what I mean? Because I, I protect myself, I shield myself from certain things that I know are going to make me spiral. And yeah, and I completely agree with what you're saying. It's those things that give me the ability to, to go from the bottom of a hole and then just find something that enables me to leap out of it again, like thousands of feet in the air. And it's, it's, it's disproportionate. It's incongruous. It, people will find it strange even, and people will probably find it uncomfortable to witness. But I don't give a fuck who labels what's normal here. No one. Everyone has their own right to label what's normal. So I've never really worried too much about people screwing the face up and looking at me like, you're weird. Why? Just because you're not in touch with something that I am. Again, I say it a lot, but fuck off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, don't have a I don't have time for that shit, me. It's like, I can't help what I am. I can't help the things my brain does to me, and I can't help what I absorb and can't let go of. It's like it all hangs over my head like a fucking halo that I can't catch and rip off. Do you know what I mean? So I tend to... Um... But yeah, I mean, <laughs> all those things that I'm saying, uh, uh, what makes it possible to just spit out something like Dream Twister... We such like a no words, but it's like yeah, but you all know what it's saying, no, don't you? Don't need yeah, no fucking you can words. feel it, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that, 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 I guess that's the fuel that fuels all that sort of shit. And it's weird that that like that, that all gives me a pass in that side of life, but in the real side of life, it's still just a a, um, a crux or something that makes people look at me and go, "Well, he's fucking weird, isn't he?" As if you fucking cry over that, do you know what I mean? I cry over shit all the fucking time. And probably shit that most people would look at and exactly like I say, like, what a weirdo. How could you be so in touch with your emotions? Well, no, you're just dead. You are dead inside. And you are looking at something that's very, very much alive. That is what's confusing you. Mate, that's a beautiful way to put it. That's a real beautiful way to put it. You know, one of the, the you know, there's just that, I don't know. Sometimes I think when talking about mental health and mental illness and stuff like that, there's just such a human quality to it and accepting that, you know, that we do feel these ways. So when I, um, you know, like I identify so much of what you just said, I, when I talk about me, I describe myself as I feel the world, you know, that, that, that's it. Just it. I can similar to you said about the adverts. I can drive past someone in the car, walking down the street and they'll look a bit sad and I'll worry about them. Exactly. I don't, I don't even know if they're sad. They could have the best life imaginable, but they look sad to me for a second and that will play, play on my mind. So I know exactly what you mean, but you know, it's, we're, you know, we're supposed to feel our emotions, you know, and it's the, to, to take that, 
that part of you and try and suppress it and try and hide it. That's what I did when I was a young man. You know, I couldn't let anyone know I had thoughts and feelings. I buried all that shit down. And I mean, that's how I ended up having a lot of problems. That's how I ended up in the place where I have a podcast about mental health. So it does us no good to, you know, you have to accept it, step into it and own it. Right. And that's, that's just, that's just what we do. Very much so. Um, and like you say, you, you know, you, you drive past them when you see they look sad, but like I, that would also happen to me. But like, I remember vividly, seeing was it around christmas like a, a a man and his obviously young son out on his first bike and that was a happy moment but it fucking destroyed me i didn't know him i didn't know the kid and i don't know why it destroyed me to this day but it did do you know what i mean it did just yeah <sighs> mate it's a lot it's a lot dude i'm like i'm so conscious of your time i've had you for hours and i really on. want to um i had a feeling i might but uh, I, I, you know, I really want to take this home and just, yeah, the record, man, it's out now, isn't it? And it's been so well received. Like every time I go on Twitter and stuff, people are like sharing photos of it and stuff like that. That Yeah, that must have been an amazing thing to have that out and have people really kind of kind of take to it. Huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, you know, it, it, it's a bit of, it's like a dream come true, really, I suppose. And um it, obviously with it all being DIY and that I, I don't really have the resources to to push it maybe as wide as I'd like to do you know what I mean and all the while I'm sat here I'm thinking how can I get more people aware of this record and I guess that's where the old devil that we were talking about earlier like streaming platforms comes into it so but anyway that's a fucking it's like a, there's a balance to be found with that. And I will be getting it out on there eventually. But yeah, it's been an absolute, uh, it's been amazing. I've loved it. And I've loved, as you say, hearing people's thoughts on it. And just just to just to make the record and get it out, like was, a, a, a feels like a huge achievement to me. And look, you know, I know I'm not, conquering the fucking world or anything like that but it, that's not what this record was ever about do you know what i mean it's not what it were ever about it's about um you know me reconnecting with my own creativity and my own desire to be alive really and that, that album is the soundtrack to that essentially and yeah it's come from such a, an organic place and it, the, the, there's a story arc like like you say and it it, it it's just nice to look back on those 10 years and remember the thoughts and feelings that I had and then to get to here. It just makes you appreciate everything so much more. Do you know what I mean? To have been where we or I've been and then to, you know, come down and spend time where I've been after that and then to get to to releasing this record and people hearing it and people connecting with it. Um, It's just... Oh, man like I, I, it's another thing i can't describe it's just a it's an absolute honor and a pleasure for people and you know i've been preparing myself for months for like loads of negative comments and like well this is shit like you know what i mean loads of i've just thought look it's part and parcel of it some people aren't gonna like it and some people are gonna want to come and tell you directly you've got to be all right about it do you know what i mean because i i can be very like what's the word like i don't know very impulsive and very quick to react 
like and then you think afterwards you're like oh bollocks i've got to remember to think first but obviously being completely ruled by emotion sometimes you don't so i was terrified of like negativity but i'll tell you what that i haven't there hasn't been one piece of negativity and even like when i joined twitter and people were like oh no twitter's a cesspool and so i've never had any drama on twitter and it's led me to believe that all the people that go on about twitter being a cesspool are wankers it's like basically you've gone on there and spouted something controversial, aren't you? And people have lot and people have clobbered you. Just don't go <laughs> talking shit, and no one will have a problem with you, man. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like I've never had any problem on social media. I've never had any negativity that wasn't anything but a little bit of banter. Do you know what I mean? But that's because I don't comment on shit. Do you know what I mean? I just I run my own race. I, I use Twitter just to connect with my fans. I don't use it to spew any kind of political fucking bile or any crap. Like I've got no understanding, no appreciation, and no interest in any of that stuff. I don't understand it. So I'd never attempt to get involved with a lot of people who fucking do. But um no, it's it, it really has changed my life. It's changed my life and I don't know if there's elements of this podcast even that people might find a little bit incongruous and going from happy to venomous to uh, I I don't even know that's just me though do you know what I mean that's kind of the emotions that I go through especially when talking about these things which are so close to my heart but yeah it's been a long journey to get the record out and it's I've done it all myself and it's been there's, there's times where it's been difficult but I've learned a lot i've met a lot of new people i've learned a lot of new skills i've done things that in those dead years i'd have thought i could never fucking do that do you know what i mean i couldn't organize that or make them phone calls i'd be you know what i mean whereas now i just don't give a shit just feel very much more connected reconnected with the world reconnected with like society almost i don't know but i just love being able to share that record with people and you know i am i hope that as many people connect with it as possible and yeah i know that in this day and age i've probably made it harder for people to to hear it and i know that people are used to that convenience of a couple of clicks and you can listen to any album you want um but look you know i haven't i haven't kept it off streaming platforms to be fucking awkward or out like that it's it's a, a process that I'm going through on my own and I just haven't crossed that bridge yet, but I just I haven't lost any sleep over it because of the attitude I have towards it. And, you know, I put so much time and effort into designing the physicals and I know not everyone has a CD player or a vinyl player these days, but, you know, that's why I've got it on my SoundCloud as well. And, you know, if anyone's bought a physical, then I just send them a fucking SoundCloud link. So they've got the digital version as well. And, then hopefully eventually I'll be able to get it on the streaming platforms. But yeah, this, this release was very much about that, you know, that, that physical uh, old school times haven't changed uh, releasing, you know, like just in an old school way, like on a CD and on a vinyl and people can't moan at me because the digital options there, if they want it for fucking, you know what I mean? Straight. That's it, man. That's it. I mean, like ultimately, right. It's your, it's, you know, it's your ball. You know, you can kick it however you want. It's your, you can do whatever you want with it. And I think like why people have become so invested on this, on, on the journey, you know, from the, the from the, uh, the uh, listening party onwards. And it's certainly what a reason why I became so invested in it and why I wanted to speak to you is just because that, that authenticity, mate, do you know what I mean? Because you are a really authentic person. And I think people, 
in a world where that is lacking, I think people buy into it and support it and just like to see it. And, uh, you know, that plays a, you being you plays a huge part in what, in what you do. And I think that's what people are ultimately um, investing in. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man, a beautiful thing. And uh, I, 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 that's what I was expecting today, mate. And that's exactly what I got. And I've enjoyed this immensely. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. It's been a real pleasure. No, it's my pleasure, honestly, mate. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I always look on things like this with immense positivity and gratitude. I'm really great. Uh, you know, I'm pleased and happy that you, you wanted to talk to me and that you've, you know, connected, connected with the story and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've, I've also, I've helped people connect with their own like history as well, their own um youth do you know what i mean like the amount of people who've messaged me going mate like you know i used to be friends with these people and we come and see the music all the time i've lost touch with them but since you've been doing this i've got back in touch with them and we're going to your reunion show together and i just wanted to say mate. thanks for like reconnecting me with my own past and yeah it's so sick yeah and it just you know it's the same for me it's the same for me it's reconnected me with my old past and I love every single the music fan and anyone who appreciates my music and my playing. Like I have nothing but gratitude. And no, I've I've I really love doing this podcast. And I just like to say I hope that at no point I haven't alienated anyone. I'd I'd like to think I haven't really. I've I've just spoke from the heart in terms of and I'm not saying that anyone who's got streaming stuff is entitled. Please don't interpret it as that. Um because to be honest, even some people who've messaged me and said, well, why can't I find it here? Once I explain it to them, they're like, oh yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. That's fine, mate. I, you know, of course I'll buy a, buy a CD or buy a vinyl to support you. Do you know what I mean? Because it is a, it is a self-funded project, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just all part of, you know, people looking out for each other in it really. And, and being there for each other. And I think the way I talk and, I don't know. I think some people see people in bands as like superhuman or something. And when I come out talking like a normal person, I just think they find it refreshing and that it in somehow ratifies how they possibly see the world or how they feel. Do you know what I mean? So I agree yeah. with that, mate. I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Very much so. I'm yeah. always up for doing things like this and you know, I, I genuinely appreciate you having me on massively. Oh, mate, thank you. Thank you for your time today, man. It's been awesome. Don't go anywhere, dude. I'm going to hit the cord. A big up to the proper mental podcast. A podcast, a proper mental podcast.